We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, Grinders! Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD, and it's Monday, it's Monday with McCool. I don't know, is that is that a good theme song? I don't know. It's uh, it's James McCool. We always have him on Mondays, the co-author with me of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a, it's a 15-hour audio masterclass. How to think like a professional DFS player. A lot of the, most of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that I talk about on this show every day are based on concepts in this course. So go to theoryofdfs.com, pick it up with James. Uh, this MLB season, I don't know if there are just a lot of new people playing MLB, but like I constantly, even over the weekend, I can do this show every day. I do it every day. I talk about stacking in MLB every day. Yet still people have questions about, well, is this the type of slate to stack on? Is this the type of, do I play three mans or four mans or five mans? Do I do five, three? Do I do five, one, one? Most of the time my answer is you're overthinking it. Like the difference between, oh, well, five, two, one and a five, one, one, one. What what does it matter? The grand scheme of things. Uh, Here at Roto-Grinders, we have a, a tool a tool slash article called Slate IQ, which is a simulation of a GPP contest. So we typically take the large field GPP, use our ownership, use our Slate IQ projections, and based around 25 closest slates to the slate that we're, you know, with the team totals and the amount of teams and the pricing and everything, and then, then based on that, run a simulation a thousand times and then see what the results are. If we ran the slate a thousand times based on those parameters, how often does uh, this type of stack win? 
How often does that type of stack win? This team win versus that a cheap pitcher win. And then versus how how often the field, the ownership of that type of lineup is rostered. And the ultimate goal is anything that wins more often than what the field is going to roster them at is is plus EV. I mean, over time. Do you do any type of simulation like that on your end? No, I don't because I don't have the computing power for it. Okay. Um, it, it just it takes a lot of computing power in order to simulate at, at, like full out slates. Um, and I could like buy some Amazon web storage and and do that, but I just frankly I don't have the the computing power for it. So I I do look towards stuff like that. Like I have a regular subscription. I look at Slate IQ, um, and I pay attention to stuff like that. But no, I don't do it on my own end. Okay, but I mean the methodology is useful yeah yeah it's, no, it's, just, it's just it's just it's very it's very time intensive but you also have to admit that it's only as good as the data that you give it because basically you're 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 making a derivative you're doing a simulation that's a derivative of multiple data points that if they were off by five percent just end up exponentially making any simulation worse and worse because like if it's based on if you if we have a stack that's going to be we we predict to be fourteen percent owned and a fifteen percent owned and it ends up being ten percent owned, I mean that's a thirty three percent difference in the ownership and obviously the uh, that ownership goes elsewhere and let's say the 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 projections are not the most accurate and they, there's no projection set that's going to be perfectly accurate obviously. But let's say it's off by, compared to other ones, by 0.2, which could be, you know, in the grand scheme of things, 1% or 2%. But that, obviously, that 1% or 2%, you know, now extrapolated over 600 players on the slate. And if the ownership is off by 5% here and 10% there, then all of a sudden your simulation, how much, how much does it mean necessarily? So the margin of error on any type of, simulation where you're simulating a slate like it could be very wide it's really really imperative that the the originating data this is why slate iq is not just run once a day typically jamino has it run earlier in the day like maybe it'll come out maybe 3 30 when we get a bunch of the lineups in and then it's it's run maybe at five o'clock and then like at six fifteen, like as close to lock as possible because we need, because obviously ownership gets better time and time. Oh, this guy's out of the lineup and this guy, Oh, this guy's batting third down He's 2,200 and he's going to be owned 17%. Well, that affects all the other ownership on the slate. But one thing on slate IQ that really doesn't change. Like if you use slate IQ, which is a premium, part of uh, Roto Grinders. You could sign up, click the link in the description, get $10 off your first month. The only thing that I use Slate IQ for, I'll make I'll make a precursor on why, is the team stacking. So if we see on the screen here, for yesterday's Slate, based on Slate IQ, it will show you how often the team stack of four to five man of a team ends up being in the winning large field GPP lineup. So yesterday we had Boston at 10.7%. 
the Yankees at 5.6%, the White Sox at 5.1%. It'll also show you what the field is going to be rostering that at. So Boston, 10.7%, the field, 9.9%. That's plus EV, plus it's going to win more often than what the field is rostering at by a certain percentage. And that's why we have this little leverage score here. Now, a lot of times we'll see that the top stack is actually over-owned. It's, it doesn't mean you don't play them. It's still the highest percentage. So we'd see here, for instance, the Yankees. Yankees, second most likely to win, which is 5.6%. The field you roster them as a four or five man stack, 6.7%, which is a difference of minus 16.7%. Uh, does that mean you don't play the Yankees? No, it just means they're still the second most likely. 5.6% of the time, you will win. Or the winning lineup will have a four or five man Yankee stack. But if we take a look at these percentages, okay, for, for the team stack, understand that they these don't add up to, to 100 right? Because sometimes, uh, sometimes no four or five man stack wins. And also just because they have the highest, like, oh, Boston. Yeah. Oh, oh they, they're, they're, they're by far, they're twice as better as than the Yankees or the White Sox. Why don't you play the Red Sox? Well, understand that they'll win 10.7% of the time, which means that 89.3% of the time, some other thing wins. So even though it's the most likely, it's the most likely in comparison to all the other teams. So if something else wins, it's like, oh, Slade, I clearly he was wrong. Like, no, like 90% of the time. Nine out of 10 times, the Red Sox don't win, right? So people think in terms of, oh, I got to play the Red Sox. I got to play the Yankees. I got to play the White Sox. Got to play the Twins or whatever, whoever's up in this winner column. And now oh, I can't play the Cubs or the Pirates or the Rangers because they're all 0.8% or whatever down here. Less likely. Yeah, but are they more likely than what they'll be owned? Detroit yesterday, 8.8% chance of being the winner as a four or five band stack. Only going to be owned 0.5% of the time. That's plus EV2. Now, it, it doesn't happen that often. Do you play 150 lineups and make 150 Detroit Tiger stacks? You can. That is plus EV. Just the likelihood, the likelihood, the, more likely than not, you're either going to win all the money or lose all of your lineups all at once because it doesn't happen that often. Right. If you have a 500-sided die that you're getting paid 5000 to one on, maybe you don't bet your entire bankroll on that, even though it's extremely plus EV. But this is the section that I look at in, in Slate IQ because every other part of this is typically the same. The size of the slate will matter. Like if we take a look at stack type leverage, which shows you the construction type. So people ask, 4-4, all of that. Well, based on yesterday's slate, which was 12 games, 24 teams, 5-3 wins about 8% of the time. The field only rosters it at 6%. 5-2-1, about 10% of the time. Field rosters it at 8%. 5-1-1-1. 12% of the time. Field roster is at a 10%. 4-4, 3 3.8% of the time. Field only roster is at a 3.3%. 4-3-1, 7 7.74% of the time. Field roster is at 7.57% of the time. So slightly below. And then 
four two one one and three two two one. The field roster is at over the amount that it actually wins at. So if you compare all these five man stacks, five 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 right here, that's thirty percent of the time. Eight plus ten plus twelve. Thirty percent of the time, a five man stack wins on a ten on a twelve game slate. The field will roster it at twenty four percent. Okay, that's a pretty pretty decent gap. Right, it's not just six percent. How much? How much? An actual twenty-four divided by that's twenty-five percent more likely to win, going from twenty-four to thirty. All these other ones are negative. Now, like before with the Boston example, thirty percent of the time a five-man stack will win a twelve-game slate. That means seventy percent of the time it doesn't. Right. So when that happens, it's oh. Do I have to play five-man stacks anyone? No, it'll win 30% of the time, but only rostered 24% of the field. Positive, expected value. The times that a four-man, three-man, two-man wins, one, 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 whatever, it's over, it's over-rostered. Yes, it'll win. That, that type, anything that's not a five-man stack on DraftKings will win. of the time, but all of those combinations, all of those construction types will be negative EV because they're over-owned. Now, if we take a look, if this was a five-game slate, these numbers would go down. You would start seeing that five-man stacks actually tend to be a little over-owned on five-game slates. The reason for that is people tend to construct five-man stacks more more often than not, but on a people think the opposite way. Right, they think on a five-game slate. If I just get oh, there's only there's only ten teams to choose from. If I just if I get the one team that does well out of these ten teams, I'm good. But that's the that's the wrong way of thinking. The right way of thinking is there's less of a chance that one of these ten teams puts up enough runs that pays off a five-man stack. On a twelve-game slate with twenty-four teams, I don't know what team it's going to be. But if there's a team that puts up 12 runs, someone has the five man and they're the winner in a large field GPP, no matter if it's the lowest owned team. Most likely if one team puts up a ton of runs, eight at least to pay off a five man stack, they will be the winner. So you have to think on a 12 game slate, what's the chances of team one putting up 10 runs? Let's say the 10 runs. X percent, two. Let's just say it's two percent. Okay, now how the how about the next team? Two percent. How about the next team? Now, the teams that have like a four and a half, five implied run total, maybe they have a six percent chance of putting up ten runs. Now we start adding up those percentages, right? We have a two percent, two percent, three percent, four percent, five percent for twenty-four teams. It comes to the chance of one of those 24 putting up at least 10 runs is almost a coin flip at that point. It's almost a coin flip that one of these teams will put up enough runs that a five-man stack pays off. Now, let's say we did it for the five-game slate. Now, you only have 10 teams. 2%, 2%, 3%. That doesn't add up to almost a coin flip, but it's at 80% of the time, none of the teams put up enough runs, put up at least eight runs or whatever to pay off a five-man stack, which means 
on smaller slates, since it's less likely that one of the teams, no matter what the totals, we don't even look at the totals of the games. Because that's what someone asked yesterday. It's like, oh, all these totals are low. Doesn't mean I, I don't stack five man because we don't, ex- we don't expect, expect usually that, that predict, you're trying to predict an outcome. We don't expect any of these teams. The highest team total is 5.1. And most of these totals are in the threes. Okay, but what's the probability that a team that has a 3.8 implied run total puts up eight runs? There's a probability on that. And when there's 24 of those, someone someone is going to do it. More than a coin flip. And if you don't have a five-man stack of whatever that team is, who knows who's, what it's going to be on that day? You lose a large field GPP. On a smaller slate, you're not trying to like, oh, well, one game goes off. It's like the likelihood of one of these... Quite possible the highest scoring team only puts up five runs. Even if all the team, if all five games, they all have high, t- they all have nine and a half totals, 10 totals. Still doesn't matter. Like the likelihood of one of the teams putting up enough to pay off a five man stack is less because there's less teams on the slate. So these stacking numbers, the stack type leverage will only change based on like slate size. Most of this stuff will just change on slate size. The only thing I won't change is obviously the team stacking because that's all related to the specific slate. So you don't necessarily have to look at the slate texture, dynamics, all this other simulation stuff because it's typically, it's going to be the same. The slate size is going to change those types of things. But it's going to be, if you look at a five-game slate, the stack type leverage is going to look the same for any five-game slate. It's going to look the same for any 12-game slate. Right, So you don't necessarily even have to look at any of this. So if you go back to all the slate IQs we've been doing for the past three years, like that, for a 12-game slate, this is what it's going to look like. I mean, like, it's not going to dramatically look any different than this. So you don't necessarily, oh, on, well, on tonight's 12-game slate, it's so different. No. So typically, I'm just looking at the teams right here. So James, is, is, that, is, is that an accurate assessment of, like, you, you have a community when people ask, Oh, it's this, you know, I, the two variables you're looking at when it comes to like how you should construct your lineup from a stacking perspective, it's the slate size and the field size. Yeah. Well, well I mean, I would, I would almost say it's only slate size. Um, I, I think that on field size, like you, you can say for the hundred man contests on FanDuel, I, I know there are people that will go in with their cash lineup, which you care a lot less about stacking and correlation, stuff like that in cash. But I, I would still even say that on one of these bigger slates, like you take the teams that have the highest chance of doing very well. And I, over at my site, I run uh, simulations of all of the teams and I monitor how often they score eight or more runs, just like you were saying. Uh, I, I have an eight plus runs percentage um, yesterday, for example, the Diamondbacks had a 6.9% very nice chance of scoring eight or more runs, uh, but they were only going to be owned like 15% or something like that. And that's, that's really, really nice leverage to have something like that. But on the entire slate, you know, Orioles, 5%, Twins, 4%, Indians, 4.3%, blah, 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 blah. As you look at that and you compare it against the ownerships, um, I think you can look at those and you can say, okay, well, the Mets or the Orioles or whoever it is, even in smaller contests, you can decide that you want to prioritize the the money makers from that team, I think. And you can put those together in a three or four or five man stack. But 
based on slate size, I think that's more important. Uh, the, the other thing that I would say is based on pitcher price, um, because that's where we start to see a lot of stack size kind of degradate is when we have these pitchers where I think it was uh, a couple of days ago where we had, it was Trevor Bauer and, uh, and Snell on, on the mound. Right. And then there was just like nothing after them. So people were going out of their way and, and optimizers were going out of their way to get those two pitchers into a stack or into a lineup. But to do that, obviously, you have to give up somewhere. So there, there were guys like um, Kirilov for the Twins and Alex Blandino for the Reds. And there was another cheap guy that was playing cores or something like that and stuff like that. You know, when you have those one-offs, the one-offs are typically used as value to fit the larger stacks in. But when you have these two really expensive pitchers that – you're, you're giving up like eight, nine, 10 points in projection, just skipping one of them, right? Like that there's Bauer projected for 30, Snell projected for 28, and then the next dude projects for like 18. Optimizers are going to fight to get those guys in there. And I always say to think like an optimizer. And so you would do the same thing when you were looking at, at this kind of stuff. And you're, you're obviously going to be saying, okay, well, I can't fit a, a full Philadelphia stack in there, a full Philadelphia core stack with both of these high-priced pitchers. So you're probably going to end up with like a three or a four man of Philadelphia plus a lot of other value dudes that, that are just going to be in there because that's what's going to project best for the slate. That's what's going to give you the best chance of actually ending up doing well on the slate. So I, I would say there's three things. I, I think that slate size is probably the largest factor when you're looking at how big your stack should be um and then something like pitcher price because pitchers are something that are significantly less variable than hitters and so that's where your projection source i think should be focused uh and then after that you can look at at a slate or um contest size as well if you want to be more risk uh averse then you can consider more like higher stack types if you, uh, or no, if you're more risk averse, you can consider getting more of those value pieces in there and seeding the stacks. But if you are okay, accepting the risk and, and aiming for those endpoints rather than aiming for somewhere towards the top or somewhere towards the middle, I think you can still accept larger stacks based on the contest size that you're in. But regardless of which way you go, it's not about what's most likely to win. It's about what's more likely to win than what the field is doing. That that second part is what throws people. Is that it's not if we showed on today we don't have slate IQ for today's slate or whatever. But if we go back to sometimes we have slates where the top stack uh, is has like an eighteen percent chance of winning, and it's and it's a large enough slate where it's like eighteen percent is a lot for let's say the Boston on this slate was eighteen percent. Yeah, that's huge. Right, that would be humongous. And people go, well, I guess you have to stack the Red Sox. Well, what happens if I told you that half the lineups are going to have the Red Sox? They're, they're, not, pro- they're not profitable at that point because the just like relative value, all the points that you get from the Red Sox stack, well, half the, half the lineups in the contest already. You're not going to get anything for that. Does that mean you fade Boston completely? Not necessarily. It just means that you ain't going to win that. Even though it's the most probable outcome, it is over-owned for their probability. That's why looking at the bottom, when people see my nutso vomit stack sometimes, and I'm playing teams that have 1% chances 
of being the top stack. Like, I don't mind. Like, here, like, I would take a look at this chart right here yesterday. I didn't play GPPs yesterday. But based on this, now understand that Slate IQ is based on the plate IQ projections, not on the bat projections that I do use. So I have to adjust my winning percentage by, to some extent, because I can't re-simulate everything. But I knew yesterday the bat projections were much lower on the White Sox than the plate IQ projections. I also know they were much higher on the Blue Jays than the plate IQ projections. Same. I, I had Blue Jays as a very good play. Anyway, continue. Right. But but based on the slight, the win percentage is based on the plate IQ projections. So it only shows 2.3%. And the field has them at 2.4%. Now, obviously, the ownership is not going to change. We're using the RG ownership. So I have to think in terms of, well, Toronto's not really 2.3. It's more like 4.5. And they're going to be under-owned. But if I just use the plate IQ projections, I'd look at this chart and go, I'm, when people ask, like, how do you figure out who to play? It's like, I could look right at this chart and I go, I want to play some Cincinnati. 1.7% chance of winning. 0.8% field ownership given to me. Baltimore. 1.5% chance of winning. 0.8% ownership. Now, they, they're lower chances of winning, right? But they're, look, they're almost double. They win almost twice as much as what the field will own them at based on our projections. Now, you go down to the bottom, Texas. Like, do you you have to go all the way that low to have a 0.8% chance? I mean, like, the difference, it seems weird. It seems like there's not much difference between Baltimore and Texas, right, to some extent, right? But it's a twice, Baltimore will win twice as often, even though 1.5% and 0.8% are like, oh, that's not that far away. It's like, no, it's double. It's double. I mean, like, like, yes, and yes, the Texas stack will be less owned than what their winning chances is, but not by dramatical amount, 38%. If I wanted to mix in some Texas, sure, I could have, if I, you know, playing 100 lineups or whatever. But as you go, as you get lower down, like the difference between Toronto, even like, let's say Cleveland, like Cleveland is 2.2% to win, 2.5% of the field. So that's actually negative. So negative 9.9%. They still may be a better stack to use than Texas. Texas is three times less likely to win. Cleveland is not that overowned. So it's like you have to judge in comparison that maybe I want to use some Cleveland. Would they be my primary? Maybe not. But I would take a look at this and go, Minnesota? Maybe I don't want any Minnesota. 3.2% chance to win. Field is going to roster them at 4%, 20, a minus 20% difference. The White Sox, minus 24% difference. Especially since the bat had the White Sox even lower. Like, I would have just faded the White Sox. I probably wouldn't have had any of the White Sox. And it's, but if they go up, they still have a 5.1% chance of being the top stack. I mean, like, if, oh my God, you fit, oh, there was negative leverage and they still, and they still won. A White Sox stack, what? So uh, that you have the percentages here. The point is to make money. The point is not to predict outcomes. So no matter, James, no matter what simulation methodology you use, whatever whatever projections you use, the, the goal of DFS 
in the long run, playing playing it out, slate after slate after slate after slate, is to get your money in good. And getting your money in good, which is plus EV, positive expected value, is to put yourself in a position where the probability of you li- your lineup winning is more than the amount of money that you're risking. So the more than the field is going to own the net. Because that, that, that is your ultimate goal in DFS for any DFS contest. I have X percent chance of winning with this lineup. And based on what all of my opponents are doing, my lineup has a X percent higher chance of winning than their lineups because it's more likely to happen than their, than their lineups. And you get paid for that. So if I so if you had this if this slate in this example, Boston was in half the lineups of the contest on a twelve game slate, I would have no problem if they were half like if literally a five man Boston stack was half half owned in a large field fifteen thousand lineups, I would have absolutely no problem going to lineup HQ, looking for those X buttons, and just acting like the Red Sox didn't exist at all. Oh, yeah. but they have a 10 points. They have the highest chance of being, I, I don't care. At that ownership, that's, I don't, I don't know how that ever, ever will be profitable. Yeah, I guess you could use a one-off here and there, I, I guess. But if I played this laid out 10,000 times, I'd make so much more money not having the Red Sox than having the Red Sox. So that, that's the thing that you have to be thinking about when you build your lineups. Not what's most likely to win. And not what's most likely to win today. It's what's most likely to win if we play. If if I were to play MLB DFS every day for five years, what should I be doing? On large slates, on any slate, hell. If you were to on DraftKings said for the rest of D, the the rest of the history of DFS, I'm going to be playing DFS for 20 years till I die or whatever, 50 years. If you never did anything and, and you played large field GPPs, if you never did anything other than stack five man, you just did, I'm just gonna do five X, just five and whatever's left, just left, just whatever the highest projected at that point, give it to me. You wouldn't be doing anything. Like if you just stuck to that and not had to think about anything else, most more likely than not, no matter what the slate size is, whatever, you'd be much better off than spending an hour trying to figure out, well, this is a 4-3-1 slate. Is this is a 5-2-1 slate? Is this a 4-4? Is this shit? Well, this, the totals, like, dude, put on five-man stacks and run some lineups. Like, it, people people overthink MLB DFS too much. Maybe someone asked me yesterday. It's like, uh, when you make five-man stacks, how do you figure out uh, this, your secondary stuff? Like, what fits, what, what fits in the rest of your lineup? I told him, you're not going to like the answer. You know what the answer is, James? Play whoever you want. That there you go. It's whatever fits. How do you choose? I uh, do. I have enough leverage with that stack. Yes. Well, give me the best. Give me the two best projected pitchers and the three best projected one-offs. Done. Oh, and oh, I'm playing ten of those stacks. Oh, well then, then give me give me two unique players at least, and give me the next best one. And then give me the next best one. And then give me the next, like, who, who, what, what team is it going to, sometimes it ends up being a three-man stack. Sometimes it ends up being two from the same team. Sometimes it ends up being with the pit, a, 
a cheap pitcher. Sometimes it's not a cheap pitch. I, I don't care at this point. I already made the decision. Just fill out the rest of the lineup. Now, if I'm playing uh, a more owned stack or a more owned pitcher, then obviously maybe it's a three-man stack of another team that is only 2% owned. Okay. But I already have that calculation done in my lineups. Like it's going to do it for me. Like that it's all this stuff is going to be done for me. All this work is done. It's, 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 it's amazing. All this stuff is already done for you. I could set, I could set even if with a blunt tool in lineup HQ, use ownership some and go, I want to play a bunch of these stacks and I don't want my ownership to be over X. Cause I know that if once I'm past X, I don't have enough leverage. And then you know what it does? It just fills in everything for me. <laughs> and then I just copy and paste that to a CSV and upload it after making some tweaks. Because obviously there's, there's uh, you get uh, optimizer damage when it comes to if you're doing especially one-offs. Because let's, like Alex Karoloff yesterday, right? He was 2K for the Twins. You're going to get a lot of him. Right, you're just going to just naturally get a lot as a one-off. Now, if you set your stacks to 4-4 or 5-3. You won't get as much. You won't get as much because the twin stacks, I mean, weren't all that great yesterday. Didn't project all that great. But the only reason they project somewhat well is because you have a 2K hitter in the middle of them. Mm -hmm. So point per dollar value goes up. But if you leave one-offs, if you're like, I'm going to build a lot of 5-1-1-1 lineups, I'm going to buy 5-4-3-1 lineups. You're going to run 150 lineups and see that Karoloff is in 110 of them. Now, you, you could want that or something. I mean, you could if you want, but I'm not a big fan of having 70% of a specific hitter. Now, obviously, the only way you can make those lineups is by having a 2K hitter in it. It's not like a 2K hitter that projects well enough. Like he was like projected at like six and a half points, which for a 2K guy is a lot. But there aren't other 2K guys that project that well. So if I capped, if Karoloff was coming into 80% of my lineups, and I said, I want to cap you at 20%, it's not like uh, the projections will find the other 60% and just replace it with another 2K hitter. No other 2K hitter projects for six and a half points. So now it's not going to make as many of those lineups. Karoloff one-offs aren't going to turn into some other guy's one-offs. It's going to just turn into a different construction altogether. So that's the type of stuff that I'm doing with the optimizer and the projections to get a good distribution of lineups that I have. But outside of that, like if Karoloff fits in those lineups, they fit in those lineups. It's just that I, I know that he's going to be over-owned because people are going to, are, are going to over, are, oh yes, I got to play the 2K guy that projects for six and a half points. He's a batter. I'll bet four times. Didn't even score any points. I think he got zero yesterday. He, he's been getting zero. That's he's what I'll getting zero. Right. But James, yeah. that's the type of thing. That's the type of thing that you do. But you, 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 you have to think common sense. Like to me, it's like if there's a two K guy that projects for six and a half points, and I'm going to play 150 lineups. Like you have to know that you're going to get a lot of them, and that may not be the that may not be the best move to play him at all. If he's going to be twenty-two percent owned on a on a on a twelve-game slate, and people that don't know you use optimizers will end up having eighty percent of them without even realizing it. 
So now I'm not, I don't want to build those constructions. I think those constructions will be overrode. Maybe X out Karoloff altogether. And now, oh, now the lineups look different. So I just, I just let the tool, I make the choices of what I want to do, what, what teams I want to play. And typically for the rest of the lineup, I'm, I'm allow, I'm allowing the projections to just put it, put in the best stuff, either give me the highest projection or give me the most leverage. One of the two, give me one of the two. And then you check your lineups and then you'd see, am I getting enough level? What I do, I go to my lineup section. I sort by projected ownership and I go, is this lineup too owned? If I go, no, great. If I go, yes, that means I, I need to find lower owned stuff to do. And then I also look at the projections and I go, the, the worst projected lineup, does it project well enough? Most of the time, yes, because it's baseball and 14 points is one swing of the bat. So I could have lineups that project 40 points below optimal and still be fine. I'm not typically not getting ones that are that low. But I look, take a look at those and I go, okay. And when I'm satisfied with the diversification, I upload it. Whoever ends up in the lineup ends up in the lineup. I mean, it, it's, it sounds like I'm just throwing crap against the wall, but like mathematically my lineups, I've condensed them to a point in this range of like this EV range. I'm like, okay, here's a hundred of them. There you go. Do your job. One, hopefully one of these, hopefully one of these gets there. And if none of them get there this day, I'll just do it again tomorrow. Well, and one thing that I, I wanted to touch on that you mentioned is if the Red Sox are going to be in half of the lineups, but they have using that as an example. Yeah, using that as an example. Like it, if, egregiously overowned. Right. Sure. If if the Red Sox on a 12 game slate are going to have an average of 50% ownership, right? Like JD Martinez 50% owned and and Devers is 50% owned and blah blah blah. Uh like if they have an 18% chance in my models of scoring eight plus runs, but they have an aggregate ownership of like 160 or 170% or something like that, something just egregious. And we've seen it before. Like we, we saw it with the Phillies. The Phillies literally had an aggregate ownership on a shorter slate of like 180% or something, which is hilarious, but it's because they were underpriced. I, I get it. I get it. Say that you have that. And then you also have DeGrom pitching on the slate. Right. And DeGrom, he was 83% or something out, which he should be. Right. Like he definitely should be. There's it was like 10, nine, it was like 10,900. And it's like this guy's 3,000 underpriced. It was so dumb, dude. It was so dumb. And, and you could fit him as well. It, it wasn't right. even that like they didn't even price up the bats. There's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Have DeGrom and the Phillies and Cores, whatever. Do your thing. But if you have both of those things and you have the Phillies who have an average ownership of 40% owned and you have DeGrom who is literally 85% owned, why on earth would you play both of them together? And the answer is that people say that it's the thing that gives you the best chance of winning. And it's like, but no, 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 no. It gives you the best, that gives you the best chance of scoring the most points. Sure. Not necessarily win, right? Right. Remember, people, we talk about this in the course. It's not about scoring the most points. Right. It's about beating the most people. people. Right. About beating other people. So it gives you the chance of scoring the most points. And it's like, yeah, dude, but everyone has that combo. 40% of the field. So here, here you are, 
where you have 40% owned Reese Hoskins who hits two home runs and you have 85% owned Jacob deGrom who puts up 50 million points and you didn't even cash. And the reason for that is because you took both of these things that have all of the ownership and now you're competing with 40% of the field that has these combinations and you have to be more perfect than the rest of the field with your other spots in order to actually do well on the slate, not even win. We're not even talking about winning the slate at this point. We're talking about cashing. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking about being in the top 20%. You have to be perfect now to even to even 1.5 extra money because we don't even double our money anymore when we place in the top 20%. We just 1.5x percent it. So when you have these things, like I, I always talk about leverage points. In, in my community, anybody who, who ever looks at like what I am doing on a slate, I talk about leverage points. And sometimes there's like five leverage points. Sometimes you have five decisions to make. You have DeGrom, you have the Phillies, you have the Giants, you have uh, another cheap pitcher or something like that. Like you, you have four to six leverage points, but sometimes you only have two. Sometimes you only have DeGrom and the Phillies. And if you have those two leverage points, you have to take the other side of one of those points. You, you can't take both of those things, even if they project very, very well, even if they give you the best projection and you can do it just because you can have that combination does not mean that you should have that combination because you have no leverage. You have no way of gaining relative value on the field. Oh, well, you can play one-offs. So oh, just play the best plays. Like, dude, yeah, you can have one-offs, but now you're putting together like all of this variance and hoping that your one-offs are more perfect than the rest of the field when instead of taking the Phillies, you could just fade the Phillies and take, I, I don't know, man, the Blue Jays who have a 1% less chance of scoring eight plus runs at like half the ownership of the Phillies. And there you go. Like you, you have already given, given yourself the relative value over like 30% of the field who are taking the Phillies and you can still have DeGrom and your projection is only like, <laughs> like four points less or something than a Phillies stack. And that, that is something that I really want to highlight as we're talking about this idea of percentile chances being better than what the field thinks. Sure. If the Phillies have an 18% chance of winning the slate and as a five man stack, uh, and they are owned like 19% by the field on average, that's negative, but only a little bit. And it's like, okay, you can still consider that. But then you have the Blue Jays who have like a 12% chance of winning the field. And the field is only rostering them at 6%. Like, dude, slam the Phillies into your lineups. Just jam- or no, slam no, the Blue Jays. Blue Jays. Slam the Blue Jays into your lineups. Because you, you have twice as much of a chance of beating the field. Like the field is not considering that. So these are really, really important things to think through when you are making your lineups, like build out your five stacks and find where the field is underestimating how well a team is going to do, because especially this year, and this is something that I've wanted to talk about um, like more in depth, we are seeing such heavy concentration this year. Like, wouldn't you agree, Jordan, that we're seeing heavier concentration this year in MLB than we have seen in years past? Heavy concentration in what? In, in, in like chalk, in, in teams that people think are going to do well. Yeah, so yeah, many, but I mean, no, I, I, no it's normal. I, I think we're seeing more because we're seeing more people with access to optimizers and more people with access to good projections and stuff like that. I, yeah, I, I guess think so, but I mean, I've, I've seen that. I've, 
I've seen that last year. I, I didn't, that's what I exploit. Well, no, I, I agree. I just, uh, okay. So you don't think that there's more, I have felt that there has been more concentration on chalk and therefore more leverage in these teams that are the third or the fourth best stack. Um, and I think that with, with NFL, that's something that you absolutely exploit as well Is when you look at it and you say, okay, well, this team has a 52 over under, uh, but they're going to be like 35% owned as a stack. And then you have the next team, like the, the third highest over under is like 48 or something. And they, they only have like 10% ownership. And that's something that I love to exploit as well. I take that same thought in the MLB where, that these teams that have a, an eight or a 9% chance to score eight or more runs are going to be owned with an aggregate of 120%. And then you have a team that has a 6% chance of scoring eight or more runs. And they only have an aggregate of 20%. Like give me all of that team. That's only going to be owned 20% owned. I, I'll, I'll have a little bit of the team that has the highest chance to score eight or more runs just because like if I'm building 15, 20 lineups, I, I don't want to die in all of them. Like no, I mean, you're, you're doing it for depending on the leverage in the lineup. Cause we have a right. question here from Kai Roach. If I just cross out the negative leverage stacks, will all my lineups be plus EV or will I still have to worry about pitching? If you cross out all the negative leverage stacks said you're, you're, you're making a, you're increasing the variance of your play very much. So you will that example or lose everything. Right. Remember, lineups, not players. Well, if I cross out all the negative... Okay, let's say we cross out all the negative leverage stacks. The stacks aren't the only parts of my lineup. I still have three more spots. I still have two pitchers. So the the point is you want to increase your probability and lower your ownership. Well, if I've already lowered over, over, lower, lowered my ownership... Uh, I need to increase my probability, which means in that example, let's say with, with the, with the Boston example, the team that's way too, let's say, and it, it, the stack is going to be on 50% of lineups, you know, like that example. Does that mean you don't play any Red Sox? Well, if I'm going to play a stack, that's only going to be 1% owned. Maybe I do have JD Martinez as a one-off in that line. Maybe I do have, maybe I have a three man. It is the highest project. Like it is the highest projected highest probability. So it doesn't mean I, I have to get, completely get rid of them. They, they're still the highest. Pro- it, it's not like, oh, they're over-owned and they're low probability. No, they're the highest probability players on the entire slate. So as long as I have leverage, proper amount of leverage, I can still use them. So that's why, like, if I'm building 100 lineups today on DraftKings, and if that example happens, I may X them out as a five-man stack. I'll still leave them in my player pool. I'll still, they, they'll probably show up. And if I play on this slate, if I played that Rangers all the way at the bottom that no one was going to play and I'm playing a five man Rangers. And remember the Texas Rangers, each guy may only be owned 1.5%, right? Each guy. So now I'm playing five of those guys that are going to be one to 2% owned. Well, if, if Raphael Devers is, is the highest rejected third baseman and he's going to be, 45% 45% on who cares? I already have, I have le- leverage all I need. So give me the highest, give me the highest probability third baseman. If I need a third baseman, get what pitchers am I playing? Give me the two chalk pitchers. I don't care about their ownership anymore. Give me the highest probability pitchers. I already have, I already have, uh, I have all the leverage I could possibly need by a Rangers stack. So it doesn't mean I X, X things out. I may X them out as a five man stack. 
if they're way over-owned. But even in this example, the White Sox, doesn't mean you don't play any five-man stacks. It just means that if you do play a five-man stack, the rest of the lineup, that would be a lineup that has a contrarian pitcher in it. Because it's still a high probability. In comparison to all the teams on this slate, they're fourth. So does it mean I don't play the White Sox? No, all this chart tells you is that if you do play the five-man White Sox, try to get, uh, maybe get different elsewhere to make up for the negative leverage of the stack, to then make your full lineup plus EV, right? If you if you eliminate these things, if you if I eliminated the Yankees yesterday, and I look like I took a look at all these these negatives, eliminated the Twins, eliminated the White Sox, eliminated whoever's negative, and then build my lineups. Would those lineups be plus EV? Yes. They'd also win much less often. So yes, it's the difference of, do you want to roll a 500-sided die or a 250-sided die, right? So one has higher EV, yeah, sure. But I mean, if you're going to put the same amount of money, like if you were to X out all of like, if you were just saying, I'm not owning, let's say in a baseball slate, you say, I'm never going to own anyone over 10% owned. Right? No matter what size slate, no matter what size, nothing. Would you have plus EV lineups? You could make plenty of plus EV lineups. The problem is, is that you're going to lose like 99% of the time. Do you have the bankroll to sustain that? If you do, if you're playing a very small percentage of your bankroll, very, very small, you could, you could probably do that. You could say, screw it. I'm probably, I'm going to lose. I'm going to play 180 slates this year. I'm going to lose 176 of them. And on, and on four of these slates, one or maybe two of this time, I hit that 500-sided die roll. And you make all the money in one slate. And you have $50,000 at once. That's typically the way I used to play. That's why I only played small percentages of my bankroll. I'm playing all these vomit stacks. I'm playing, you know, I'm Xing out expensive teams. I'm doing all that type of stuff. The swings in that, you can lose every slate for two months doing that. Even though you're plus EV, it's like rolling a 500-sided die and trying to guess the number. Yeah, you're getting paid 5,000 to one, but you're going to be wrong 499 out of 500 times. Do you do you want to do that? I'd ra- Would you rather roll a 100-sided die getting 250 to one? You'd be like, okay, that's still profitable. Well, that that then maybe you do mix in. Maybe you do play some of the chalk Boston, but you don't play the whole chalk lineup. That was, that's going to be negative EV. Maybe you do mix in, maybe you have one Texas lineup, but you don't have 50 Texas lineups, right? It's it's actually less EV, but more likely for you to realize your EV. If you were to just play, like, I'm just going to play, like, the lowest, the, I'm going to play Texas and Detroit, and, and that's all you're going to play. You're just like, I'm going to build 20 lineups, and they're all going to be, like, sub 1% owned type lineups. Like, you could go the whole goddamn season. And not win. You can go three seasons and up. I mean, like, like that's that's how that's how much variance there is. Where you do that every day. You did. I was just going to stack all five. I'm going to play twenty lineups, four lineups of five different stacks, and they're all going to be one percent owned stacks. Oh, oh well, now I've a that much better shot than doing all twenty of one. Yeah, sure. And you could still lose 176 out of 180 slates. So you can do that. But if you're only going to play, I'm playing 10% of my bankroll, you're going to be broke. Like I could just, the likelihood of you being broke doing that is extremely high. 
You're going to play a half a percent of your bankroll doing that? If we, if we zoomed out on this graph of this time horizon to like 10 years, you're going you're gonna to have as much money as anyone else, right? You're, you're going to win because you're going you're gonna to win 50K like once, every, uh, once a year, once every two years and over 10, over 10 year sample size. So yeah, you have plenty, as much money as someone that's still playing some chalky stuff and some whatever. So it's just a matter, it's just a matter of variance. It's not a matter of which one do you do. But the likelihood of you risk the risk of ruin of playing like a a, a 0.6% owned stack that is a 1% chance of winning while it's still plus EV, it's just it's it's not gonna happen that often. So don't necessarily so when if you're just wiping out, oh who what are the top five highest owned stacks? Let me just exclude them from my player pool. You can do that. You're not going to win that often. When you win, it's going to be a lot of money. But I mean, it may, it may only happen once a season. So, and most people don't have the cojones, the cojones to do that consistently, right? Because they'll lose like 35 slates in a row and go, I think I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's not even considering hedging either. Right. I mean, you and I talk about the the way that you MME, like you have these lineups where you have a pitcher against a stack and then later on you'll build a stack against that pitcher. And and so if you are looking for a lot of variance and you're looking for a lot of leverage, you know, maybe you take the pitcher against the Red Sox. You know, that that's massive leverage. And yeah, but it's not as much see see the taking pitchers against the stack only because there's so many different stack combinations. In our specific example. You're never going to see a 12 game slate where one team is 50% owned. I mean, no, no, no. This, but in that egregious example, yes, I would, there, there would be enough leverage there that I would just take the pitcher against the Red Sox. Yes. Right. But when, when you're looking at like those kinds of things and you're thinking about hedging your lineups and you're thinking about building out a whole bunch of lineups, if you're a one player guy or like a three player guy or one lineup guy or a three lineup guy, um, you know, you're, you're probably not thinking, <coughs> too much about hedging. Um, you're probably just building the best lineups that you can and you're, you're not going to worry that much about hedging. But if you have 150 lineups or like even, even me, if I have 15 lineups, 20 lineups, cause I, I just started a new challenge where I'm trying to build up 500 bucks into 5,000 bucks by the end of the season. Uh, today, my bank roll is $14. So uh, I'll, I'll have like 10 lineups, maybe 14 lineups. If I go into the mini match, something like that. Um, I'll probably end up hedging on two or three of those lineups against the pitchers because I don't want to have everything riding on those pitchers doing well. If those pitchers suck, then I want to try to take advantage of those pitchers sucking. So it, that's, the, that's a matter of diversification, not a matter of strategy. Yeah, yeah, it, it's diversification. But it, it is saying that if that pitcher is up against a, ch- a stack that is maybe going to be really popular, maybe I have a pitcher up against the White Sox because the White Sox strike out a lot or something like that. Later on, like after I've built out a, a bunch of lineups, then I'm probably going to want a White Sox stack so that if that pitcher ends up getting destroyed because the White Sox have plenty of power too, I want to take advantage of that as well. And if the White Sox are going to be higher owned, if I were just saying that I'm not going to play this stack because it is going to be high owned, I, I have taken myself away from the ability to hedge. I have taken myself away from the ability to cover that base on 1% of my lineups. So that's that's another part of it. Um, that's not required. You don't have to do that. No, but it's something that I do. I, I'm just giving the example of like 
if you take if you cross out those players and those lineups and those teams, you don't have the ability to do that thing that I like to be able to do. You don't have the ability to have the flexibility of having those teams in your portfolio and your diversification. Um, the only thing that I do that I'm adamant about is just fading cores. And that's because I know that ownership on cores is always going to be super high and I can find other things, but I also am a masochist. And even when I go to cores games, cause I live here in Denver, um, that's always just the worst, you know, somebody hits a home run and I'm sitting in the stands like, yeah, oh, that sucks. But you know, yeah, you know, it's it's a good time. So, that, but but the main reason is because they typically tend to be over owned. Right, exactly, and, and tend to be. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes we have slates where it does a Wrigley win game, and the Coors game is too expensive, and then it ends up being the other way. I was just going to say once in a while, and typically that's when I'm playing Coors. If the sites actually price Coors appropriately, then then they're not you know over owned. But when Rymel Tapia is freaking three K leading off, then. I'm not, I'm not playing cores, man. I'm just not doing that because it's going to be like 40% out. And, and like, why would I do that? Um, but it, it, but may- it could be played in certain lineups. Like we have to make this, it always comes down to lineups, not players where like someone's asking in the chat about playing a chalky one-off be negative EV. Like at, in a vacuum. Yes. All of these things in a vacuum are true, but they could be made up for in so many other ways inside of a lineup. If you have in that, if Rymel Tapia at 3K is 40% owned, but he projects at 3K for 10 and a half points, and you're building a lineup that already has enough leverage to win the contest that you're in, and you need to find an outfielder to plug into your lineup, you could play Rymel Tapia in that line. I mean, he's, is he the highest projected guy? Yes. In a vacuum. He's negative EV just by himself, but you're not playing players. You're playing lineups. Now you can only play him as a plus in a plus EV lineup because he's going to suck out a lot of the EV of the lineup because he's a 40% on one-off. But if he's the highest rejected guy, the highest probability guy, and even by putting him in the lineup, the lineup is still plus EV. Why not? If you put him in the lineup and it's like, okay, now your lineup is too owned not leveraging up yeah, then they shouldn't, he's not going to be in many of those lineups because his 40% ownership is going to, is going to ruin that, but he still can fit into lineups. So you could see, you'll see, I'll play, I'll play 150 lineups and Rommel Toppy in that instance, I could not have no core stacks, nothing. I take the stacks out, but I still have the one-offs there. Still have them in my player pool and Tapia shows up in three out of 150 lineups. And people go, well, why are you playing Rob Tapia And he's 40% on in three. Well, he fits in three of those lineups. I mean, like, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. Well, you should X him out. No, what does it matter? He fits in those three lineups. Those three lineups are plus EV. They have the highest rejection for the lowest ownership. Done. But the size of the contest I'm in, done. Easy. End of story. They fit, it fits. Turns out he only fits in three of them. Right. If I was building a lot more contrarian stacks, I assume that instead of being in three and one fifty, he would have been in seventeen of one fifty or something, because his ownership wouldn't matter as much because I'm playing a lot of garbage stuff. But if I'm playing, depending on this, how the ownership of the stacks that I'm playing, you only fit in three percent of my line. You know, as an example, I'm giving as an example. But this is what you're looking for. This is and this is where people 
use optimizers wrong, right? They go, oh no, okay, I don't mind having, I don't mind having seventy one percent of a forty percent owned hitter and just jamming him into all my line. Yeah, you could. I mean, you could. You're just not gaining that much out of it. And you take a look at your lineups, and it's like, what what ends up happening is that you cash a lot of your lineups, and you think you're like, oh, I'm getting this. Oh, I'm playing a hundred line. Oh, I'm doing like the pros do, playing 150 lineups. I'm cashing a whole bunch of them, but you're really not building many lineups that have a chance of winning first place. That's what we're looking to do, right, James? Win first place. Why would you play GPP otherwise? That, that's where all the money is. Yeah, I don't. We we. I mean, if you look at the seven 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 contest today, right? The seven hundred seven seven dollar contest. And I understand that's like priced out of of a lot of people, but. If you look at that contest, it's 100K to first. It is $3,000 to seventh. Three, $3,000. If you don't place first in that contest, you have lost. Because like you, you made a little bit of money, but like if you think about the bankroll that you need to have to play a 777 contest, and you think about what $3,000 means to that bankroll, that is a drop in the bucket, dude. Like that, that's not even, it, you made like 2% ROI on that day and you didn't save your season at all. So, uh, but take a look at FanDuel. FanDuel has a five, like the main GPP, five bucks, right? That's yeah. price that's range, nice. right? Five bucks. It's 30,000 to first, 10,000 to second, sixth place is a thousand bucks. Yeah. Okay. The difference between sixth place and first place could be two points. And, and it's it a thirty-five thousand entry. Con- it's it's beating. It's a thirty-five thousand entry contest. The difference between first place and sixth place is twenty-nine thousand. Is is that dramatic? It that's your season, you know. Like right. and- the difference that those two points may make the difference of you being profitable or not. If you could even come up. So if you're making lineups where it's like, oh look, I cashed a bunch of my lineups. It's like you're losing. There's no, all the money is up there. Play lineups to try to get up there, right? It's, it's why earlier in this year, remember when we were doing NBA and I was complaining about that Anthony Davis lineup where like Anthony Davis had a floor game and I placed like 13th place or something in a GPP. And if he right, just had, had the, a median, then you would have won. The median and it's 20K and I'm profitable for the NBA season. Guess what? Was not profitable for the NBA season. Right. And that's all it takes. And right? that's, that's, that's all thing. that is. Right. Yep. But if you're not aiming up there, you're not you, you you're just going to bleed your money away. That's the right. point that we're making. It's not about finding the most probable outcomes. It's finding the most profitable outcomes. What's the easiest way for me to win first place? By playing stuff that other people aren't playing and that hits. You don't have to score 300 points. You just have to score more points than your opponents. And if the chalk misses and you're hit, you win. I mean, you, most sharp players when when the sharp when the when the chalk hits, especially in baseball, it's closed laptop. Trust, trust me. That's the oh chalk for four thousand. You know, forty percent on Ramel Tapia hit a home run. Close that lo- closed laptop, right? Oh, over owns SB two, right? You know, some on DraftKings like Danny Duffy, sixty percent on is a seven K SB two. And he goes out and throws seven innings with nine strikeouts. Close the laptop. Doesn't mean doesn't mean these sharp players don't have these players. It's just they don't have a lot of. I mean, just they don't make 
a lot of plus EV lineups. So the likelihood of them being together is going to be very low. So you, you have to think in those terms. Most people don't. They want to know what's, what's going to happen. I don't care what's going to happen. All I care is about what is the field going to do and what's more likely to happen than what the field is. That's, that's it. The field, the field moves, I move. Right, that's that's all that that's all that matters to me. Oh well, the field, yesterday uh, the White Sox were over owned and the Blue Jays were under owned. Well, the White Sox scored more points. Yeah, but I I I thought the White Sox would score more points. Like if you asked me, the likelihood of the White Sox outscoring the Blue Jays that was the most probable thing. But the most profitable thing, if we played this laid out a thousand times, was to bet on the Blue Jays. So the result. I don't care about the results. Oh, you were wrong in the White Sox. No, I wasn't. I never said. I never said. I never predicted an outcome. I just said they're overowned. That's it. And the Blue Jays are underowned. Well, the Blue Jays didn't do crap yesterday. Okay, were they supposed to? Right. I don't know. I'm not predicting outcomes. All I know is I look at the field. I look at the projections, and I go, okay, this team is overowned. This team is underowned. Build lineups. Build plus EV lineups now. Go ahead. Go do it. So uh, in your in your in your challenge, how many how, are you are you primarily playing what like the the one dollar twenty max or something like that? Yeah, lately I've been playing the mini max. That's what I've started with. Um, I will. Oh, so you got, you're doing like a full scale like one fifty or something. When I have that bankroll, yeah, I, I don't have that bankroll yet. I started five hundred bucks. So okay, five hundred. But uh, what a mini? What uh, you could still do? What the mini? What's well, the mini I, max? I could do the quarter. I could do the quarter. Uh, Oh, I, uh, I can't see these contests on drafting. So, I'm, what's the? How much is the mini max? Uh, the mini max is a dollar. Oh, okay, okay. I thought the mini max was a quarter. That's why. No, no that's the quarter arcade. So the mini okay. max is a dollar. Uh, and I played. Uh, so the first day it was that that split slate, right, where we had seven games early and eight games late. Mm-hmm. So I ended up playing sixteen dollars that day. Uh, I made a dollar fifty. So that wasn't awesome. But then yesterday I made twelve dollars off fifteen dollars. So better I, ha- I had a lineup that placed like 190th or something uh if i'd have had mount if i'd have had haze instead of mount castle i finished like 20th or something but i didn't so i'm sorry you don't have that guy that hits two home runs yeah right so but but i had oriole sacks i i had a lot of orioles i had a lot of blue jays i, I had a lot of diamondbacks i had the right pieces but like i just didn't have the right you know players so uh, today I have fourteen dollars to play with, playing three percent of my bankroll. I'm at four hundred eighty-two dollars and fifty cents right now. So okay. it, it'll go. I expect a lot more of the uh, of the one dollar fifty returns than the twelve dollar returns. But the hope is that in the next month or two, I have a four thousand dollar return, and then you know that's that's stepping forward. So right, you you do the same thing that I do, just that I, I just play higher. That's, that's the only difference. Yeah, I, I, and I and I'm doing it to show like if you don't have a huge bankroll, you can still play in a in a smart way. You can still allocate things correctly, so long as you're looking at things and and paying attention to how often, paying attention to the percentages. Don't pay attention. I I only use projections to build my stacks because I still hand build. Eventually, when I get past twenty lineups, I'm gonna have to go use lineup HQ. But for now, I'm hand building and I'm just looking at things. I'm saying, okay, these guys project well. I like these lineups and I'm just going to build these stacks. And then I'm going to hedge for two or three of the lineups. And, you know, hopefully one of them gets there. And yeah. 
Yeah. Are you doing that over at paydirtdfs.com? I am. Yeah. Paydirtdfs.com. Uh, you can go there. Um, and it's still so, just redirects. It's still just redirect. But now, now I'm going to just get on your case that you still haven't set up a DNS mask. So it looks like the real domain. We'll, we'll get there, Jordan. But okay. for now. At least, at least you got it. It's paydirtdfs.com. Uh, you can find all of my tweeting, which is not very good. It's just mostly shit posting at paydirt underscore DFS. Um, definitely, I, I've really enjoyed this baseball season so far. I think that a lot of people have uh, have learned a lot of stuff in the community. So come join the community, 30 bucks a month, every single sport under the sun. And yeah, definitely. And then a lot of the stuff that we talked about today, as we normally talk about, is in the theory of daily fantasy sports. How to think like a professional DFS player, 15-hour audio masterclass, has all these chapters, game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploit psychology, miscellaneous chapter, 15 hours, bunch of testimonials here, see the table of contents. So if you, if you want to learn this stuff, you want to have a nice structured education where it's all in there. You can reference it. There are many people that have listened to this multiple times. You can listen to this once a month. It applies to any sport. It's not just about MLB. It's about any sport. It applies to NFL. It applies to NBA. It applies to NHL. There's a re- it's not a coincidence that some of the, the best DFS players, they just happen to be good at all the sports. Is it because they know all the sports? No. It's because they're good at DFS. So what do they do? What are these concepts? So if you want to get picked that up, it's at theoryofdfs.com. And uh, we got a, we got a nice slate today. What uh, we got a how many games? A bunch of games. Nine game slate. Okay, decent enough. Not small, not large, but good, 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 nice, nice, nice size on it. And uh, we'll be we'll be going over of uh, what what low owned stuff that I do that didn't come in yesterday, and if the, hopefully the chalk fail. Like that's what I, I I just I just pray for the chalk failing every single day, uh, and, uh, and we'll discuss it tomorrow because I'm here. Every Monday through Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern, for the DFS pregame show here on RotoGrinders.com.